0: You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. giving you the Xs and Os of all things fantasy. On the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
2: And welcome back MD Nation to the show. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN, also presented to you by Belly Up Sports. So happy to be back this week. We are heading into week 11, and we are going to be talking about the early window of games, of course, like we always are every Thursday. And we have, you know, a slew of injury updates to get to. We have our rankings to get up to, which you can check out, com. We have the Thursday night game to talk about. We have the early afternoon games to talk about. And your fantasy playoffs are right around the corner. We are three regular season games, for most leagues out there anyway, we are three regular season games away from the fantasy football playoffs starting in week 14. And we've talked about this over the past several weeks now. We are actually only a week away for the majority of leagues out there that have a trade deadline in Week 12, which seems to be the going consistency as far as the most of the leagues out there. So that's what we're operating off of, the idea that you have a Week 12 deadline. So this is the time. Buy or sell, it's it's now. It's now or never. So we're going to talk about some guys that we have on the market that we think would be good buy lows, good sell highs type of players getting ready for your playoffs as we go through these previews, as we go through what our fantasy expectations are going to be for this early window of games. First up, of course, we have the Arizona-Seattle game, and normally speaking, I actually start off these shows with a today in corona, today in COVID cases. Other than, from what I can tell, the entire Raiders defense possibly being on the COVID list as of right now, there aren't too many fantasy implications when it comes to exactly what's going on with COVID for this week. Knock on wood, things could change tomorrow, it could screw everything up, we all know how this works now, but so far, knock on wood, so good for fantasy football purposes when it comes to COVID-19. So that's why we can kind of lead right into the Thursday night game tonight with Arizona and Seattle. And Arizona's side of the ball really should be pretty straightforward at this point. We know Kenyon Drake is going to start. So you play him as an RB2. We have him at running back 15 on the week. We know Kyler Murray's the QB1 because it's Seattle. And not only are they a horrible secondary in general, but they don't even have their two starting corners on top of it. So they're going to be even worse. They don't even know who their fourth starting corner is. They're trying to figure that out. Who's going to be that guy when they go to their dime packages, six defensive backs. Who's that going to be? They don't even know. Things are already ugly as it was. So, I think this should all go without saying that, you know, DeAndre Hopkins, wide receiver one this week. Big game last week. I know a lot of it, chunk of it, came on that crazy game winning finish, which, you know, can't hold on to that hoping again. But this is a guy who has one of the highest target shares in the entire NFL. And a great matchup, wide receiver one over everybody this week. And then after that is Christian Kirk. Christian Kirk, we like him a lot. I actually have him as a wide receiver, too, this week. Wide receiver, 17. Other than last week, I think over the past, I want to say, five games now, four of the last five games, he scored touchdowns. He's looked very good. He's still operating well ahead of Larry Fitzgerald as far as target share goes, snaps, routes run, all that. This is a good matchup for any perimeter wide receiver. So Christian Kirk, wide receiver, 17. I would play him with some confidence this week. And even Chase Edmonds, I have his RB27. Now, the expected game script here that we're, we're looking for is a shootout. I don't see any reason why it wouldn't be. We had a shootout the first time around. Both these defenses are subpar at best. That includes Arizona, even though they've been playing a little bit better recently. But this is nothing to be special about. These are offenses going for the jugular. I expect it to be aggressive from start to finish. And that's why all these guys can be fantasy relevant, including Chase Edmonds. We have an RB twenty seven. This is a guy that I think you can play as a flex option. Without a doubt. Now, as far as Seattle side goes, there's some injuries that we've been waiting for, right? It sounds like, it sounds like Tyler Lockett is gonna play. Basing that on Pete Carroll, which I never feel good about doing, however. In his you know, situation here, he came out right away and said that he is confident, fully expecting Tyler Lockett to play, with little doubt. I'll give him this credit. He at least came out and said that, Chris Carson, eh, nah. he practiced in limited. He hopes he could have him out there, but he, was, he even admitted that he just kind of got through the practice. We're not expecting to see Chris Carson. And we had just updated these rankings, actually, on BellyFantasySports.com. If you want to go ahead and check them out, they're pretty much up to date to this point. They'll be updated throughout the weekend. So we're operating as if Carson's not going to play this game. Which means, Carlos Hyde, practiced in full, back from the hamstring issue. We do expect him to be the starting running back. We do expect him to get the majority of the work. And as a result, I have an RB25. So just sitting on the cusp between an RB2 and a high-end RB3. I think one of the big things about a Carlos Hyde in this situation is that you can play him with the confidence that he's going to get most of the receiving down work. Travis Homer's not going to play in this game. So Alex Collins, while you, some people are a little bit worried that he might get mixed in, he might get a few carries. He might. But I think you're going to be looking at a guy who's more there to spell a Carlos Hyde than to split the work with a Carlos Hyde. And when Hyde has given his opportunity so far this season, albeit it has been very few of them, he has been able to capitalize. He has been able to produce at a high level. And being that he's a full practice and he's good to go from his hamstring, I think he's going to be the bell cow. And Seattle knows, Seattle knows that they have to get away from being so one-dimensional. While Russell Wilson is playing great, although we'll get into him in a little bit in a second because there's been some concerns there, while the receivers have obviously been awesome, the fact that they become so one-dimensional is the reason why they're on a little bit of a skid right now. Defenses are able to game plan a little bit more for Russell Wilson and take away some of the things that he wants to do, at least on, on a more consistent basis. They're going to have to get back to running the football to at least some degree. I think they do that tonight with Carlos Hyde. And being able to use the backfield in the passing game as well to keep teams off balance. Now, I don't think he has this tremendously high ceiling. He's still Carlos Hyde at the end of the day. But... A high floor, half-point PPR leagues, especially, which is what we usually talk about on these shows when we're when we're talking about where I have them ranked. Yeah, 100%. That's why I got him at RB25. So I feel confident about Carlos Hyde being a top-end RB3, low-end RB2 for you this week. Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, obviously you're going to play them. Like I said, we're expecting Lockett to play. You can play them as low-end wide receiver ones, high-end wide receiver twos in a game that should be a shootout with the way that they've been playing as of late. Russell Wilson, still our QB2. I don't want anybody panicking on Russell Wilson. But it's a little concerning that he's suddenly turned into a turnover machine over the last three weeks. And if you're in fantasy leagues where those turnovers count against you, not again, you're not benching Russell Wilson. I'm not making that argument. Not. He's he's still the RB2. Or, excuse me, he's still the QB2 overall. But it's a little concerning that maybe those high ceiling games, if the, if they don't stop from being one-dimensional... Teams are going to be able to key on Russell Wilson, what he's trying to do, when he's trying to push the ball down the field, get pressure on him, and frustrate him, which is what we've seen over the past three weeks. It's why Seattle's been faltering as of late. Now, the good news is it's not going to stop him from being aggressive. So that's good for him. It's good for the wide receivers. And frankly, it could also be good for Arizona or the whatever, whoever the opponent is that given week because now they have extra possessions. They have extra fantasy value to go to. But the turnovers is the reason why goes back to my Carlos high point that they have to stop being so one-dimensional and that's why I think you're going to start to see that a little bo- a little bit more. now am I concerned to the point where I think there's going to be you know 10 less pass attempts a game? No absolutely not absolutely not. in fact, it might benefit the offense to be a little bit more efficient overall anyway. Because now we've seen DK Metcalf kind of get taken away from certain matchups over the past few weeks too. This is going to be a big one because last time Patrick Peterson took him away. Now Tyler Lockett being a little bit banged up heading into this Thursday night game, I think there's a good chance that Russell Wilson's going to force the issue more so to DK Metcalf than he did the first time around. So I think you're going to be fine there. Point is, you're going to play all your fantasy guys that are relevant in this game. Should be one of the better Thursday games that we've had in a while. That's what I'm most excited about here. But I love pretty much everybody involved, including Carlos Hyde, can definitely play him with some confidence in this week. So there's not much more to go over to the Thursday night game, so let's move on to our early window of games on Sunday. Let's kick it off with the Philadelphia Eagles and the Cleveland Browns. What's on the Eagles' side of the ball? Can they bounce back? Can they do what they are supposed to do? I think that's the big question. Carlos Wentz Wentz comes in as QB 15 for us on the week. The reason for that is I'm expecting high volume. Whether it be in the second half or whatever the case may be, I don't expect the Eagles to have tremendous success running the football. Cleveland's defense has been very good, and they've been getting stingier and stingier to the running back over the past month. Miles Sanders, I have him as an RB 2 Obviously, you're still going to play him, but I don't have a high ceiling... In my range of outcomes for a Miles Sanders this week, I just don't. Which leads me to believe Carson Wentz should have more pass attempts, should be coming back from behind, I believe, in the second half. So I think the volume's going to be there. I think there's a game in which you're going to see Carson Wentz use his legs quite a bit, too. And that kind of also boosts his floor. So all of that is to say that he's somebody who's in the streaming territory. Still not in my top 12 quarterbacks, still not necessarily QB1, but he's in the streaming territory due to all of those factors. Now, flip it on the other side. What's going on with the wide receivers? That's the big part we got to figure out. Travis Fulgham wasn't part of the game plan, but and I was worried about Travis Fulgham a little bit with Alshon Jeffrey coming back because I wasn't sure exactly what the snap count, what the rotation was going to be. But that wasn't the reason Travis Fulgham wasn't involved. He just flat out wasn't involved. It wasn't because of Alshon Jeffrey. Alshon Jeffrey barely played. He wasn't targeted. So that concern not only rolls with me, Because we still haven't really seen what that's going to be come to fruition just yet. Now we have to take into consideration, like, okay, what's going on with the Eagles offense in general? You guys came out of the bye and looked more out of sorts, with more guys back, more guys healthy than really almost any other point this season. With the exception of week one, and even then. And yet, the offense looked more horrendous than it has at any point this season, in my opinion. Looked more out of sync than it has at any other point this season. We have Travis Fulgham ranked at wide receiver 21. I don't think Alshon Jeffrey is ready to come back yet or be, I should say, a significant participant in the route run share and the target share just quite yet. I think he's still getting back into game shape, and it might take him, really honestly, it might take him a month to do so because talking about Liz Frank injury, he hasn't really done a lot of football activities in in a long time now. I mean, we're talking about almost a year. So I think it's going to take him a while before he's really, really ramping up his involvement in this offense. And I think they got to get back to getting Travis Fogel on the ball, especially when it comes to the red zone, especially giving him 50-50 attempts. Jalen Rager had seven targets, but only had four catches, 40 yards. Him playing as a, you know, dink and dunk type of wide receiver is not what he's meant to do. If, you need Jaylen, if you're need if you going to get Jalen Rager to do what you need him to do, which is to be the downfield threat, to be the big playmaker, to keep the defenses honest, to keep, the defense, to keep that safety backed up, well, you need to start using him in the role that you drafted him to be. Which means using Travis Foglem and Greg Ward and getting Miles Sanders involved in the short and intermediate part of the game. And getting back to that. It's not a great matchup against Cleveland. Especially in Cleveland. This is a good defense. And because they got Chubb back and leaning on the running game again, they're able to keep the ball out of the offense's hands. So the only wide receiver I'm going to touch is Fulgham. But even then, there's a new low floor risk that really comes with playing him. So you have to take that into consideration. He's going to be matched up on Denzel Ward most of this game. That's not going to change here either. We do have a wide receiver 21. I think you can play him. I think he'll definitely get more than just one target. And if the Eagles are smart, but again... That's the problem with fantasy football. There's logic, and then there's what the coaching staff will do. But if the Eagles are smart, Travis Fulgham, Jalen Rager, Dallas Goddard, that's what they should be moving forward in their passing attack with as they presumably wind up winning that horrible division. But there's still a wide range of outcomes. They still seem determined to get Alshon Jeffrey involved as he gets more back in the game shape. And that's something we're just going to have to watch moving forward. makes the whole thing very, very ugly. Dallas Goddard, I mean, he's my tight end seven because of talent. I mean, I believe in the talent. I believe in the targets that the Eagles show to the tight ends. I believe at the end of the day that will win out. But there's no no telling here. There really isn't, unfortunately. I mean, he hasn't been targeted the way you expect him to be since he's been back from the injury. It's been a poor showing. Last week, he was splitting work with Richard Rodgers. But I have to believe in the talent. And I think you only have maybe a week or two more that you can play Dallas Goddard with the hope, I can't even say the confidence, but the hope that he'll be a tight end 10. Because Zach Ertz is probably two weeks, maybe less away from being activated. And while he wasn't great, obviously, he wasn't great, it still doesn't mean that he won't, you know, be the guy. And he won't take away from Goddard. So I think you got two more weeks where you can play him as a top 10 tight end. And after that, we'll have to see. I really thought that Goddard was going to have the opportunity when he came back to really shine. And to put it on the Eagles that, you know what? You could bring Zach Ertz back. That's fine. But I'm the lead guy. I thought he was going to do that. He hasn't. And if he continues to not, they're going to have no reason not to thrust Zach Ertz back into the number one tight end role. And make this whole thing even more murky. Because no one's producing well. So now, you move into Cleveland, and the only thing I really want to touch out of Cleveland is is the backfield. I mean, and that should go without saying, but that's it. Austin Hooper, I tied him tight end thirteen, but it's the most boring tight end thirteen I think I could ever, you know, think about in my entire life. Most boring tight end thirteen. Who knows? I mean, Baker likes to get the, the tight ends involved in the red zone. That's the only thing going for him. And that is the same analysis that we could probably have for the other 29 tight ends, the other 31 tight ends, not named Travis Kelsey in the league right now. He's not going to have a huge target share. It's not going to be featured. Jarvis Landry could lead the way in targets. Who cares? Unless the Eagles were able to get up a lot in the beginning of this game, there's simply not enough pass attempts on this team, period to get Jarvis Landry, who needs, I believe, double-digit targets, especially because he's just not 100% healthy, needs double-digit targets to turn in a wide receiver three performance. We don't have him in the top 36 this week. Eagles are not the easiest team to throw the ball on, especially since Jarvis Landry most likely, I mean, maybe it's Higgins because he lines up on the perimeter more, more times than not, but Jarvis Landry most likely will see his fair share of Darius Slay in this game. So I'm only really wanting to touch the backfield. And again, this isn't a great matchup. The Eagles aren't the easiest team to run on, although some teams have been having a little bit more success as of late because the defense is just on the field so much. So in the second half, guys are starting to gash them a little bit more and more, and that very well could happen in this game. I would not be shocked if we saw a similar type of game script to that. Nick Chubb comes in as RB13 overall, so high-end RB2, low-end RB1, and Kareem Hunt's RB21. We saw last week they were pretty much dead even. Actually, I think they were dead even in carries. And then Kareem Hunt we know is going to get a little bit more involved in the passing game. And the fact is, Kareem Hunt is actually a more productive back so far this season with Nick Chubb in the lineup than without him. So you keep continuing to play him with confidence, and you keep playing, uh, continuing to play Nick Chubb with confidence as he continues to get more healthy and more in shape. I mean, he looked great last week. What's going to happen this week when he gets his legs under him in the fourth quarter when the Eagles defense has been on the field 80% of the time? So we feel good about that there, too. The cool thing about this game coming up, though, is that it wasn't there weren't too many injuries in this game. aren't too many injuries in the Saints-Atlanta game, either, outside of the obvious of Drew Brees, which we know he's going to be out for at least the next couple of weeks. I think it could be longer. I really do. All that talk came out, punctured, long, cracked ribs. He's over 40. If they are winning the next couple of games, and they are still in prime playoff contention, and right there with Tampa Bay to win that division, and Jameis is playing decently, I don't see why you rush Drew Brees back. I really don't. Punctured, long, cracked ribs. It's hard for me to imagine. Now, these guys are tough. These guys are crazy in the NFL. But it's hard for me to imagine he's going to be back in two weeks. I would say at least 30, maybe more likely if everything's going ideally for the Saints to that point a month. So I think it might be some time before Drew Brees actually comes back here, but the official word on it is a two to three week timeline that hasn't changed even after he got the second opinion, even after the news about some of his other injuries that he's been having came out that hasn't really changed. So in the meantime, Jameis Winston takes over. Jameis Winston, we have him ranked as QB six on the week. Now there's a wide range of outcomes for Jameis Winston, and I fully, fully understand that. That is not lost on me at all. And I know some people are going to look like, "Well, quarterback 6, you must be super, super confident. I'm confident in the matchup. I'm confident in what Jameis Winston I know can do because I think it's intriguing. Let's just look at it from, from Jameis Winston's skill set for a second when it comes to this offense. I think it's intriguing... That with a guy with a better arm who has guys like Michael Thomas who could actually maybe run further down the field a little bit more than what we're used to seeing, could actually be something. I love it. Could you could you see Michael Thomas with an actual extra element to his game being added? Could you see Michael Thomas being able to get thrown the ball 15, 20, 25, 30 yards down the field? Something, frankly, he has not had in his career because he came at the tail end of Drew Brees' career. I love the idea of what this could add to Michael Thomas' game, possibly. And for the people who are worried about it, why? What has Thomas done this season that's been so special even when he's been out on the field? He had two catches in week one. Didn't play again until a couple of weeks ago. And his best game so far has been five catches for 56 yards. It can't get any worse. So this idea that somehow it downgrades Michael Thomas, where? Where's the logic? Where's he's produced that's been so great with Drew Brees so far? Let's actually take the opportunity that Winston can actually throw him the ball down the field and all of a sudden maybe things start to open up a little bit more. Defenses maybe don't squeeze this offense quite as much because they know Jameis Winston can hit them over the top. Now that's looking at it, of course, from the glass half full, right? Let's look at it at the other side because like I said, there's a wide range of outcomes when it comes to Jameis Winston. The other side of this is that they could for a lack of a better term, Teddy Bridgewater him. Meaning, they could operate as if this offense needs to be super conservative. They can tell him you need to be a game manager. They could tell him that the number one priority is for him to not turn over the ball. Now, I think this would be a mistake. I think this would be a, an issue where you're taking away what James Winston does best. And yes, he has problems with turnovers. He always has. But one of the best features about him is actually being able to be aggressive. I think you can coach him in a way where he can take smart shots down the field. This isn't going to be the, you know, risk it, no biscuit, Bruce Arians' mindset coming in here. You're going to set things up. Sean Payton, I believe, does a better job of setting certain plays up, but he hasn't really had the quarterback necessarily to be as aggressive as maybe he would have liked to have been over the past couple of years. Now, I'm not knocking Drew Brees because of what he's done and what he can be and, Obviously, I'd rather have Drew Brees out there than Jameis Winston, even now. But there's an element that he could take advantage of. However, if he turns the ball over a lot, if they ask him to play conservatively because they don't want him to turn the ball over a lot, and that becomes their main focus, well, then I'm a little bit concerned about what James Winston's value is. Not that he won't be a QB6, he'll be a QB2, with what you're hoping is a high floor but no ceiling. He'll be captain checkdown, which might bode well for the Alvin Kamara owners out there, but I don't think it bodes well for Michael Thomas in that situation because it doesn't. it's not just Michael Thomas out there. You have Emmanuel Sanders that you can throw the ball to. I think Jared Cook is somebody who will become more involved with James Winston under center. And like I said, if he's trying to play super conservative, then all of a sudden this offense takes a step back, except for maybe Alvin Kamara. So there's a wide range of outcomes that we're going to see out of James Winston. We're going to be watching this game very intently to see exactly what is the Saints' game plan with a guy like James Winston under center now. Which side of the glass are you going to operate on? Is it going to be really conservative, game manager type like you did with Teddy Bridgewater, although that was more the type of quarterback that he is anyway? Or are you going to try to play a little bit more aggressively, obviously still play smart as you can, but play a little bit more aggressively because you have Jameis and you have that arm and you have the capability of finally being able to do so? Depending on which philosophy they come out with is going to dictate what's the fantasy value of a Winston, and frankly, what's the fantasy value of everybody else. I'm operating on the idea that against the Atlanta Falcons, there's a chance, there's a chance, that this game could turn into a shootout, and as a result of that, they had to play a little bit more aggressive. Which lends me to Michael Thomas being wide receiver 10, so being a low and wide receiver 1 for me this week. It lends to Alvin Kamara being the number 2 running back behind only Dalvin Cook this week. And as far as everybody being concerned, like, well, you know, are this is is going to affect the targets of a Michael Thomas of a Alvin Kamara? No, James Winston knows who to get the ball to. That was never the issue. Mike Evans and Chris Godwin got plenty of targets. He knew who to get the ball to. In fact, I think this—the one thing that I feel pretty confident about, whether they play conservatively or whether they play aggressively—is Jared Cook. What this does for Jared Cook, I love it. Look, first of all. Again, it can't get much worse than what it's been for Jared Cook over the past few weeks. But James Winston, we remember Cameron Brake being involved. We remember O.J. Howard being involved. He throws touchdowns to the tight ends. And because of his bigger arm, I think Jared Cook will actually have more of an opportunity to be able to stretch the ball down the seam, which is what his main skill set is to begin with, with James Winston under center. So I think the one player that I actually feel confident, whether they're conservative or not, that this does boost is Jared Cook. And that's why I have him as... Tight end twelve on the week, and I think he has higher upside than that. I think I would not be surprised at all if Jared Cook was able to catapult himself into the top ten, especially this week against Atlanta. So I like that play out of Jared Cook. If he's somebody who's been dropped because he's been dreadful over the past few weeks, this would be one of my top streamers at the tight end position this week. Everything else has a wide range of outcomes, you know, outside of Alvin Kamara, which we just we know he'll be involved one way or another. We didn't talk about Atlanta. Matt Ryan, QB 12, I think, and he's just somebody who's always going to be a low-end QB one. I don't think that's going to change. The defense will always make sure that they have to be aggressive at least at different points throughout the game. The best thing about this week is that he's going to get Calvin Ridley back, and you have a healthy Julio Jones still. So he has all of his weapons. And when Matt Ryan has all of his weapons in a dome, whether it's in New Orleans or in Atlanta, it doesn't really matter. He tends to play pretty well. And while the Saints defense has been playing better as of late and have gotten a little bit healthier, have a little bit more of a pass rush than what they had in the beginning of the season, overall, I don't think you can be afraid of the Saints secondary. And really, the best thing about this from the pass catcher standpoint, and we'll talk about Todd Gurley in a second, but Saints are not an easy team to run on. And because they're not an easy team to run on, I think there's going to be more targets, more pass attempts for Matt Ryan, more targets for Julio, more targets for Calvin Ridley, and Hayden Hurst, who comes in at tight end six for us this week. Hayden Hurst is one of the few guys that, while his scoring has been hit or miss, he's one of the few tight ends out there right now available. Well, not necessarily available, but out there in your fantasy leagues who's actually getting a consistent target share. He's getting As long as Julio's been healthy, every game that Julio's been healthy for, he's gotten five-plus targets in each and every one of those games. That is a floor that, frankly, if you don't have Travis Kelsey, you can't buy in fantasy football right now the tight end position. You can't. And if he scores a touchdown on top of it, then he's right up there with the top three guys. So Hayden Hurst, tight end six, feel pretty good about that. I know the Saints haven't been the greatest, they're not a scary matchup, but they haven't been the greatest matchup for tight ends, but it's just the flow of how the Atlanta offense is operated as long as certain guys are on the field. Now with Todd Gurley, we still have him as an RB2. There's always the chance that they set him up with inside the five and he falls into the end zone because that's his superpower. That's what keeps giving him RB2 fantasy value every single year. Even though it doesn't look pretty, even though it's not efficient, he's able to continue to just fall into the end zone. And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. So he comes in as RB17. There's not a high ceiling. If he doesn't score a touchdown, we all know what the low floor is. But at this point, I don't know if the matchup really matters as far as what Todd Gurley brings to the table. And this isn't a great one. But again, I don't think it really matters as far as what he brings to the table. Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, you know, high end wide receiver two, well, low, uh, well, excuse me, low end wide receiver ones, high end wide receiver twos, Julio Jones, a wide receiver one, you know, he doesn't have the range of wide receiver two, but Calvin Ridley, wide receiver one, wide receiver two, based on the idea of, it's his first game back, we'll see how sharp he is, see how in shape he is, but it, I think it was good that he was able to come back in after the bye, I'm not worried about his health, I'm not worried about him being limited as far as snap count goes at all. It's just being a little bit, having him ranked at wide receiver 13 this week is just being a little bit conservative being that it's his first game back coming off the injury because typically speaking, you want to be a little bit more conservative when ranking these guys coming off of their injuries when they've missed a couple of weeks. But really, I mean, you're not worried about playing them. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back on the other side. we got more games to talk about. We have a mailbag segment for you guys at the end. So everybody stay tuned, and we'll talk to you guys right after this.
0: It is it, the World Wide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the World Wide Sports Radio Network. And
2: welcome back, MD Nation. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the World Wide Sports Radio Network. WWSRN, also presented to you by Belly Up Sports. And as always, I'm your host, Dan Mader. We're talking about the early window of Week 11 Talking about the Thursday night game. We talked about some of the early afternoon games on Sunday, their injury updates, our fantasy football expectations, and all of that just continues on with a few more games that we have to talk to you about. And of course, we have the mailbag segment for you at the end. But this part of the show now brings us to the Cincinnati Bengals and the Washington Football Club. Hopefully, it's going to be the last year, I have to say, the Washington Football Club. Uh, we have Joe Burrow here. He comes in a QB 20 for us. Here's the thing about Joe Burrow. I would not be afraid to play him if you have him. I would not drop him for another quarterback option that would maybe have ranked early, uh, earlier or, or higher. Look, with Joe Burrow, the difference between QB 20 and QB 10 for me this week was literally a point. That's how that's how close it was with the quarterbacks. And it's It's been consistently that close a lot of weeks, but this week in particular, had a lot of quarterbacks in the same tier, in the same range. So while Joe Burrow technically came out to be my QB 20, I had it within a point difference that he could just as easily be QB 10. That's why I'm not going to worry about it too much. Yes, Washington on paper, going into this matchup, when you look at it, they're like, they are not a great matchup on paper. But this isn't a defense that has been able to hold teams out of the end zone too much. They let up 23 points two weeks ago, 30 points last week. This isn't a defense that really scares me as far as a quarterback goes. We saw Alex Smith have a decent game last week, too. Because Joe Burrow is going to have the volume, and we're going to get into Joe Mixon in a second. I don't think Joe Mixon is going to be out there for another week in a row. He's going to have a safe floor. Now, I think the only question really comes in, how high is that floor? Because one of the things that's nice about Joe Burrow is, in fact, this is a guy who's not afraid to run. But he is going to be dealing with a little bit of a banged-up ankle issue. It's not going to keep him out of the game but will it keep him from being as mobile as he wants to be or taking off and running as fluidly as he normally would be? It could lead to that. So you're going to be focused pretty much on his volume, but as long as Joe Mixon continues to miss, and again, I don't expect him to be out there again this week. He still wasn't practicing yesterday. There is a safe floor that comes with a Joe Burrow. I expect a better game out of him this week than Pittsburgh last week. Last week, I didn't want you to play him against Pittsburgh. Because they knew they were just going to dominate that terrible offensive line. And while Washington has a nice passing front, they're not anywhere near the defense that Pittsburgh is. He's going to have more opportunities to be able to throw the ball. And that also lends to guys like the wide receivers. It also lends to Higgins and Tyler Boyd. You're firing them up, I believe, as high-end wide receiver threes, low-end wide receiver twos. Pretty much staying in that same value in my book altogether. T. Higgins has been really great over the past couple of weeks. He's had a great floor. He's been going over 100 yards, has a touchdown. If he's, not, if he's not doing that, he's getting you 80 yards. There's just a really safe floor that comes to T. Higgins. Now, we haven't seen those big explosive games. We haven't seen him have that 150-yard, like, two-touchdown signature breakout performance. And that could be coming soon. I don't think it comes in this matchup necessarily. But you play Tyler Boyd, you play T. Higgins with confidence, and I think you do that every single week. And they're the only two Cincinnati Bengals wide receivers that you're doing every single week, because as far as A.J. Green non-take go, they seem to be splitting on who that wide receiver three is within the team, and they're not being fantasy-relevant as a result of that. The only other aspect about the Cincinnati Bengals talk about, to get in a little bit more detail, is the Joe Mixon situation. Didn't practice again yesterday. Zach Taylor continues to call him day-to-day, which is just a load of crap. It... He's been day-to-day since this injury took place, and we thought, like, okay, it makes some sense that maybe you wait until after the bye, and then he didn't practice last week. Now, at least last week, he was out there in the rehab field. He wasn't even on the rehab field yesterday, from what we understand, so I don't know what's going on with Joe Mixon. We still don't know. Again, it's another week that we still don't know exactly what the foot injury even was, we're still another weekend where we're getting conflicting reports on how he looks, what his demeanor is, what Zach Taylor is saying, and then what's actually happening, or I should say not happening, on the practice field. At this point, this smells really fishy to me. And we talked about you know how trade deadlines are coming up. I think if you can still find somebody out there who does believe Joe Mixon's going to come back this season for the championship run, and you can get a high in RB2, a low in RB1, you can get some kind of similar value back in return for Joe Mixon, I'm pulling the trigger. I don't know that he comes back this year. I think there's a very good chance he doesn't come back this year. This feels all too familiar with the Cincinnati Bengals. This feels too much like A.J. Green last season for me. It just does. Now, like I, s- I talked about this, I believe, last week it was. Contractually speaking, it's not in the same situation, which is why last week I was maybe a little bit more optimistic that he's going to come back and play at some point this season. But because we're going another week with, another, with the same old story of he's day-to-day, but we all know not really because clearly he still hasn't been on the practice field in a month now. Hasn't even been on the practice field. Still don't know anything. I don't know how you sit back and say, you know what? Joe Mixon's gonna be back soon. Or at all this year. Because now I'm starting to think about this in the other lens, where it's all right, you made a long term contractual agreement to Joe Mixon to pretty much be the guy for this offense moving forward, to be the guy who's gonna develop along not develop or bring Joe Burrow along with him and add that you know running back dimension in there. You have some nice young pieces. You're not going to make the playoffs. I mean, we're heading to week 11. There's still a lot of season left. And I would, if you, if you've made me to make a decision right now, I would have to say I still probably lean a little bit more towards Joe Mixon coming back at some point this season, but it's pretty close to being 50-50 in my mind at this point. It smells too much like AJ Green where really they had decided to shut him down for the year and just didn't want to tell anybody. And it's starting to feel a lot like that's going. What's going on with Joe Mixon? Again, he still has not practiced, which means he's still not close to returning. And I know yesterday was Wednesday, and we'll wait again today to find out what the practice report is. But I'm willing to bet it's going to be another week of Joe Mixon not on the practice field. And I think we're just not. I think we're being flat out lied to. I don't think we know all the information. I just think there's a real shot here. Joe Mixon doesn't come back at all this season. That's my warning to you guys out there in MD Nation. I could be dead wrong. But this is stacking up too much like the A.J. Green situation last year. And it's too much of a mystery around his injury. So again, if you're in a league where your trade deadline is next week, putting Joe Mixon out there, seeing what you can get for him, I think might be the smart move here. Especially, especially if you don't have Genevieve Bernard. Now, if you have a Genevieve Bernard, it's a little bit different because you can keep holding out. And while Bernard is nowhere near the player of a Joe Mixon, He can at least continue to hold down the fort as a low-end RB2, a high-end flex play, whatever the case may be. He's not going to give you those RB1 weeks like a Joe Mixon would in in some situations, but he can at least hold down the fort enough for you to keep the door open in case Mixon does come back again this season at some point. So I can see in that situation you don't necessarily need to move on from a Joe Mixon if you want to hold out the hope that he'll come back for your championship run. But if you don't have Genevieve Benard, I think you gotta sell Mixon for what you can get because one, who knows if he's back there for the playoffs? And two, if you've had Mixon with no Bernard this entire time, I'm willing to bet that you're probably in dire straits as far as what your odds are to make your fantasy playoffs. So I'm gonna look elsewhere. I'm gonna see what you can get. Put him out there. If you can like I said, if you can get an RB two, if you can get a high end RB one or a low end RB one or something of similar value, I would maybe look to move on from Joe Mixon right now. It's just unfortunate. So let's move on the other side here. Let's move into Washington. Let's talk about Alex Smith. He's QB 18 for us. There's actually a pretty decent, again, I, you know, I talked about it with Joe Burrow. The gap there between you know 10 and 20 is a point. There's a high floor right now with Alex Smith. They're letting him throw the ball a lot. They, they really are. And as long as he has a J.D. McKissick to dump it down to, where he feels comfortable with, so he can get the ball out of his hands. He, you know, he still has some happy feet. Obviously, it, it makes perfect sense why he wants make sure he doesn't really get hit like that again. But as long as he has a McKissick to dump the ball down to, as long as he has Terry McLaurin to be able to zero in on, I think Alex Smith going to continue to have a high floor. As crazy as this is. I mean, this, this Alex Smith story, as great of a story as it is, from a fantasy football perspective, is pretty much 2020 wrapped in a, in a nice little wrap for you. It, it really is insane that we're talking about Alex Smith in week 11 as a possible streaming quarterback and feeling good about his floor, Alex Smith, after what happened to him last year. It's in, or two years ago now, it's insane. It's insane. But that is 2020 for you, basically. QBA team, if you're stuck in a bad situation and you don't have any quarterbacks to be able to stream, again, he has a decent floor heading into this matchup against a Good matchup in the Cincinnati Bengals. JD McKissick comes in at RB thirty-five, a little bit lower than what we had him last week having an RB two. This isn't a game where like Detroit Lions that I expect that Washington will have to come back from behind as much as they had to. I think both of these teams will go, you know, pretty even toe for toe. I do think you're still going to see a decent amount of pass attempts, and I still think JD McKissick is a guy who can get you seven to double digit targets this week again, which is why I still have him as a He's a solid RB3. is a solid flex play. But I don't know if he's getting you 15 targets like he did a week ago. I don't know if that's going to that's gonna be the necessary game script heading into this week. So J.D. McKissick is somebody that you can play, but I wouldn't expect RB2 level play out of the way we, we did last week. And Antonio Gibson, that's kind of the reason why I don't have J.D. McKissick as high. Antonio Gibson, RB19. I think Washington will have more success running the football this week than they generally have. Now, I know Gibson had the two touchdowns last week, but from a yards and efficiency standpoint, it wasn't all that great. I think he'll have an easier time being able to run the football. That's why I also think Washington will be able to control the ball a little bit more on offense, why we might not see as many pass attempts in the expected game script. But this this is also a game that could go one way or the other for me. I could see it being more of a competitive 2017 type of game. I could also see this game being a shootout, because when you're talking about two terrible teams who do have playmakers on the offensive side of the ball on both opponents, sometimes that can create for a bit of a sleeper shootout. I, this is a game that I would have as a sleeper shootout opportunity. So there is a wide range of outcomes. There are ceilings for these guys heading into this game. And that leaves me into Terry McLaurin, who obviously you're playing, but this week, this week, against this team in the Bengals, wide receiver three. His targets have been there, frankly, Alex Smith has been playing better than any quarterback Washington has had this season, than Kyle Allen, than Dwayne Haskins. He's even been, especially last week, he was actually comfortable enough pushing the ball down the field a little bit more than we're used to to Terry McLaurin in particular. Wide receiver three for me on this week. I mean, he is a great wide receiver. If he has a quarterback who can actually hit him accurately and consistently... I think 100 yards and a touchdown is a near-every-week possibility now with Alex Smith, the quarterback for Terry McLaurin, especially in matchups like this against Cincinnati Bengals. It's crazy. It's crazy, but it's true. The other guy I want to add in here, somebody who I'm not a big fan of. Haven't been all season, really never have at any point, because he is a journeyman, and he's a journeyman for a reason. But given the tight end landscape, given how bad the Bengals are against tight ends in general... Logan Thomas is a tight end one, not tight end one overall, but he is a tight end one for us this week. He is a top 10 play. He's in my top five this week. And you can look at it from two sides. You can look at it as on one hand, that's just how bad the tight end landscape is, that a guy like Logan Thomas can be a top five tight end without too much of an argument, I think, really from anybody. Or you can look at it on the other side where Alex Smith is targeting the tight ends a little bit more. It's, it's literally Terry McLaurin, tight end, running back. That's, that's the spread with Alex Smith. The quarterback play is a little bit better. He'll look for the tight end in the red zone, and it's a great matchup. Top five tight end this week. Not going to happen too often because I'm not a big fan of his. But this week, the the situation of Washington, the situation of playing the Cincinnati Bengals, lines up. And also, the situation for your fantasy leagues. If Logan Thomas is somebody who is out there and available, he should be your top streamer of the week, without a doubt. Let's move on to the Lions and the Carolina Panthers. Some good news on the Lions front. Kenny Galladay returned to practice yesterday. Now, I don't have him ranked yet. I am still was operating on the idea that Kenny Galladay was going to miss at least one more week, and we still have to see exactly what happens. But because he was able to practice on a limited capacity on a Wednesday, that's usually a decent sign that they have a real opportunity to be able to play on Sunday. So I think we might see that. Now, here's the only caveat I have. If he's not quite 100%, If he's more like 60 to 75% as far as where his health is, because they have to play early Thanksgiving Day on Thursday, I think there is a chance that they would hold him out until then. And just try to not push him, knowing that they're going to have a quick turnaround. Especially if he's not close to being 100% yet coming off that hip injury. So that's my only caveat to him practicing on a Wednesday as to why I don't have him ranked and why I'm still a little bit doubtful as to him definitely playing this Sunday. Something we'll watch. Something you need to follow us on Twitter for at Show. But at least there is some good news there. The other, I would say, bittersweet news, of course, would be Matthew Stafford. I would say the sweet part is that He injured himself. He was still able to be productive. He was still able to throw a couple of touchdowns against Washington last week, even after the injury. And also, the sweet part would be that we still expect him to be able to play this Sunday. The bitter part is that a torn ligament in your thumb, in your throwing hand, if you don't think that's not going to affect your throwing, you're crazy. If you don't think it's going to affect your ability to hold on to the ball, you're crazy. So, that will be a hindrance. Now, not that Stafford has been this guy that you necessarily want to stream on a consistent basis anyway, but after Marvin Jones finally looked like a Marvin Jones wide receiver that is a competent wide receiver that you may actually want to play last week, it does make you feel like, oh, do I have to go back to second guessing that? Because going up against the Carolina Panthers, this is another game that has sneaky sleeper shootout potential given the way these two teams match up and what their strengths and weaknesses are, both offensively and defensively, I could see a lot of points in this game. So you want to be able to play a Marvin Jones in that situation, especially if Kenny is not going to be out there. And like I said, we have it ranked that way. Right now I have Marvin Jones at wide receiver 34. I wasn't really going to have him as a low-end wide receiver 2, but with the injury to Matthew Stafford, you have to figure that's going to come into effect to some degree where we're going to rank Jones more as a wide receiver 3 who's kind of touchdown dependent, kind of like he has been for most of the season up until last week, where he finally had a nice eight-catch, 95-yard performance, where he finally capitalized on the extra targets heading his way with no Kenny Galladay. And it wasn't, a, it wasn't a great matchup on paper, which is why I go back to why I'm not worried about the Cincinnati Bengals players against Washington, because I don't believe Washington's defense is as good as what they would say on paper they are. So that, that's where it's a little bit bitter. It's also a little bit better when you're trying to consider you know, T.J. Hawkinson. I still have him as tight end three. He still has a consistent floor. He's still going to be looked at for in the red zone. I still am a top five tight end. Carolina's been kind of stingy against the tight ends too. So I was, I was one, these were one of the ones that I had to go back and do a double take on when I was running through my numbers. And I'm like, really? Because it's not like he's been the most consistent guy. And like I said, Carolina Panthers have been pretty good against the tight ends. But when you break down where the targets go, especially if Kenny Gallaty does not play especially the red zone targets, you got to put TJ Hawkinson still up there as a top five tight end, a guy you continue to play every single week with confidence or as much confidence as you can have in a tight end, not named Travis Kelsey, which I'm going to just continue to repeat myself on. The big guy that I'm excited for this week is Deandre Swift. We know Carolina is a great matchup for running backs. I love that he finally got the start last week. Love it. And not only did he get to start, he was the bell cow. Because that was going to be my next question when I was watching that game. It's like, oh, cool. DeAndre Swift finally gets the official start. What's that going to mean for the timeshare, though? I mean, you can still see Adrian Peterson getting maybe 45, 40% of the carries. So, see, On Johnson getting worked in for no reason. No, there was none of that. Adrian Peterson spelled DeAndre Swift from time to time, but DeAndre Swift acted as if he was the bell cow. And most importantly, I think, as far as that having a chance to continue, is that Detroit won that game. If Detroit doesn't win that game, then I would be a little bit worried about, well, this is something that they will continue to go on with because they won that game. I feel really good about the prospect of Deandre Swift continuing on as their starting running back as their bell cow running back. And against Carolina Panthers, if he's the bell cow again this week, which is what I'm projecting him to do, which is what I'm expecting out of him right now. Deandre Swift comes in as my RB nine overall an RB one this week. And, you know, going hand-in-hand hand with, you're playing DFS this week. He's at a nice little price of $6,400 on DraftKings. I'm just going to give you guys a head up, heads up right there. DeAndre Swift is a hell of a play this week. A hell of a floor with a hell of a ceiling giving his matchup and his skill set and the fact that it looks like they finally have come to their senses and allowed DeAndre Swift to be the bell cow back. That's the guy I'm super excited about on the Detroit side of the ball. Move over to Carolina. They have some quarterback issues, too. Teddy Bridgewater, again, expected to play. Was practicing in in a limited capacity yesterday. But they they seem pretty hopeful from the get-go that Teddy Bridgewater is going to be able to suit up. It's a minor knee sprain, so we expect him to be out there. While I maybe wouldn't want to try to play Teddy Bridgewater, even though this would typically be a match in which he would definitely be a streaming quarterback for me, and I still have him hovering around that top thirteen area where you would be a top end streamer. I think he does still have a good floor this week. Because of the neat issue, I don't you might want to look elsewhere for other guys if you're looking for more of a ceiling play. Like I said, I still think he has a nice floor. Because Detroit, that's the big that's the big thing here. It's still Detroit. You still don't have Christian McCaffrey. So even though Mike Davis might have a easier time running the football than he has over the past few weeks, you're still going to be leaning more I think on the passing game and to move the ball than anything else. So he still has a nice floor, but I would question what his ceiling would be if his knee's not quite right. He might be a little extra conservative, even more so than what he normally is. Might get the ball out of his hands a little bit quicker, even more so than he normally does, which means shorter throws. Shorter throws to Mike Davis, to Robbie Anderson, to DJ Moore, to Curtis Samuel. It, it, just shorter throws in general, which just limits his ceiling at, just limits the ceiling at this point. Still has a nice floor. If you have to go to Teddy Bridgewater though, I think he could do worse. But as more to say about Robbie Anderson, wide receiver 15 for us this week. DJ Moore, wide receiver 26 for us this week. Even Curtis Samuel is wide receiver 44, so he's hovering between that wide receiver 3, wide receiver 4 flex territory. It's Detroit. Everyone's playable. Like I said, and as long as Teddy Bridgewater is able to be out there, well, you don't have to worry about that significant downgrade that would come if it was the backup quarterback, if it was P.J. Walker. Everyone will still be able to get the ball like they need to. To produce. And because these are all guys who can do something after the catch, Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, you don't necessarily need them to get targeted deep in a matchup against Detroit for them to still give you the fantasy value that you've come to expect out of them over the past few weeks. So that's where Teddy Bridgewater making sure that he at least plays is still critical. Mike Davis, we have him in RB11, so we have him as a low end RB1. We'll know he gets the volume. And like I said, the one thing that while Mike Davis has been seemingly running on fumes over the past few weeks or at least has been decreasing and decreasing and decreasing as far as his efficiency goes and this idea, that's the one thing I am happy about is that finally people are moving off this idea that Mike Davis should be be involved while Christian McCaffrey's out there in the field because that was absolutely ridiculous. So people are kind of moving off of that a little bit. But this is a matchup where he should be able to get back to running the ball, at least with a little bit more efficiency, because he has had some tough matchups over the past few weeks as well. So I think there is a high floor that you can expect as far as what his carries, what his rushing yards are going to be. And, of course, he's going to implement that with his receiving ability. He's going to boost that with his receiving ability. So all that to say is that while Davis maybe still doesn't have the highest of ceilings, his floor should still put him right at that low-end RB1, high-end RB2 going into this week. So you're going to feel pretty confident there. The update news that we have for you on Christian McCaffrey right now is that, one, obviously, we know he's not going to play this week. I do not believe for a second he's going to play Week 12. I don't see it. Their bye is Week 13. If Christian McCaffrey has a shoulder issue where it's largely pain tolerance issue with a chance of re-injury, and it's Christian McCaffrey, why on earth why on earth would you push him when you have a bye week 13? Carolina is still in a position where they could possibly get a wild card. They could still possibly make the playoffs. You don't want to ruin that by losing Christian McCaffrey for the rest of the season because you rushed him back. I do not believe he comes back in week 12. I think the earliest we see Christian McCaffrey is week 14. Now, let's throw that into your fantasy line. Let's throw that into your fantasy football situations and talk about what that means. Basically, what that means... Is that unless, unless you are in position where you feel pretty confident that you're definitely going to make the playoffs over the next three games, due to your record being you know six and three or or you know seven and three, whatever the case may be, if you feel like you're in a position where you're going to make the playoffs, then you can hold Christian McCaffrey for your championship run because I do think he will be back this season. I think he'll be back week fourteen. If you're not, you have to sell him. Because you're not going to get him back before the playoffs. You have to sell him if you are dying, if you are fighting for the chance to even get to the playoffs. You have to sell him. Period. I mean, you have to sell him for anything useful that you can actually get over the next three weeks. Period. So, depending on what situation you're in, Christian McCaffrey is either a stash or you sell him for what you can get right now. Sell him for something useful. Sell him for something that'll help you get in the playoffs. Because he's not coming back to that first round. I'm telling you that right now. He's not coming back next week. And you won't have him for week 13 regardless. So that's one of the guys we're talking about. If you saw that trade deadline coming up in week 12, pull the trigger while you have the chance. Let's move in to the Pittsburgh game, to the Jacksonville game. Let's start off with the easy part of Pittsburgh. The easy part is Big Ben, top 10 quarterback. Not surprising at Jacksonville. Easy part is, all three wide receivers, Juju Smith-Schuster, Deontay Johnson, uh, Chase Claypool, all must-starts at the wide receiver position. Have them all as wide receiver twos. All all three of them are wide receiver twos for me this week. Here's the tricky part. James Conner. James Conner should, should, against Jacksonville, with the uh, scoring opportunities that this offense has, should be considered a low-end RB1. Unfortunately, you have to play him as an RB2, and based on what he's done the past couple of weeks, I think you have to hope that his ceiling is RB2. It should be an easy matchup on paper. The problem the problem has, and everybody wants to crap on James Conner, and I don't know why, but everyone seems to, there are certain players that the industry seems to like crapping on on a consistent basis whenever they're given the opportunities to. James Conner seems to be one of those guys. I don't know why. Because when he is put in an actual position to produce, he produces. He's a good back. He's the bell cow back. That's why I think you have to continue to play him. But the problem has been two things. The offensive line and the interior especially has not gotten a push very much over the past couple of weeks when they should have been able to control the line of scrimmage and it hasn't happened. They're running out of shotgun most of the time, which is annoying. But they're not getting a push on top of it. So James Conner has had Pretty much nowhere to go. He hasn't had very many holes over the past few weeks against defenses where he should have been able to gash. There hasn't been much there. It's not, it hasn't been his vision. He hasn't been cutting to the wrong place. It's not that he hasn't been playing well. Some people say he's not explosive. It's hard to be explosive when you can't get past the line of scrimmage because there's nowhere to go. Here's the second problem. The Steelers have no interest in running the ball over the past couple of weeks. They were up 29-7 to last week. And they were still going five wide. Five wide. They were still throwing the ball up three touchdowns on the Cincinnati Bengals. If they're going to continue to do things like that, that is killing James Conner's fantasy value right now more than anything, is the play calling. It doesn't. It's not game script dependent. They can be up multiple scores, and they're showing you that they're still like, whatever, we're still going to go five wide and have Ben Roethlisberger throw it around. If that continues to happen, well, Connor is going to become just as frustrating as Jonathan Taylor. He just is. He's going to be just as frustrating as Jonathan Taylor. Because you're going to have a guy that, while he's getting most of the work, while you should be able to play him with at least a high floor and a decent ceiling, depending on the matchup, you have to ask the team, are you even going to get the ball? And in Connor's situation, it's not that he's splitting with the other running backs, it's they're not involving the running game at all. That's the problem. So, I think you have to play James Connor as a high-end RB2 this week against Jacksonville because of the matchup. I think at some point, Pittsburgh's going to have to remember that in order to win the postseason, they're going to have to have a running game. They're going to have to be able to use play action. They're going to have to be able to get physical. But if he doesn't do it this week, man, I'm not going to feel great about the Baltimore game next Thursday. I'm going to tell you that right now. So Connor is the guy that we have to watch intently. You have to play him. You have to play him. But we have to watch him very closely. We have to watch what the Steelers do very closely in this game to determine what to do with Connor heading into Week 12. And do you try to sell him right before that cutoff of the deadline Week 12 on Tuesday? The side of the ball is really straightforward. You play James Robinson as a low-end RB2. He doesn't have a great ceiling against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And you could play DJ Chark as a high-end wide receiver three, I believe, because the Steelers are a team that while their front seven's been great, while their run defense has been great, while they've been getting pressure on the quarterback like crazy, wide receivers, especially perimeter big play wide receivers, have been able to have success pretty consistently now throughout this season. So I think DJ Chark might have a higher ceiling and a higher floor than a lot of people who would look at this matchup on paper would think. So I feel pretty good about playing DJ Chark as a high-end wide receiver 3, low-end wide receiver 2. I feel good about having him in my lineup because you have been able to have success as a perimeter wide receiver against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And there's no doubt in my mind that Jackson was going to have to be coming back from behind later on this game. So I think there's a very good chance that there's garbage time, uh, garbage time points in store for a DJ Chark. Right? Without a doubt, really, in my mind. So let's move into... You know, let's, The one thing I will mention about Jacksonville real quick, though, is that LaVisca Chanel is expected back. So just kind of throw that out there. Not fantasy relevant, and I don't think it actually affects DJ Chark either in his value. So what we're going to do is we're going to take another quick break. We'll come back on the other side. We have a couple more games to talk about and then the mailbag segment for you guys. So just stay tuned with us right after these messages.
0: It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And
2: welcome back, MD Nation. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN presented to you by Belly Up Sports. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, and we've been talking about the early window of games for Week 11, previewing, giving you our fantasy expectations, going over our injury updates, and to close out the show, or at least the last segment of the show here coming into, we have a couple more games to talk about and we have a mailbag segment for you guys. Just a quick reminder, if you want to get on the mailbag segment or if you ever need your fantasy dilemmas answered for you, you can always hit us up at up MDFF Show on Twitter and on Facebook. I'll pick out a few of the questions that I like. We'll talk about them on the show. And even if we don't, I'll always be able to give you a nice, thoughtful answer and try to help you out as best I can because I am here for you, MD Nation. We are here together to try to go on a championship run 100% without a doubt. So the next game that we want to get into here is the Tennessee Titans and the Baltimore Ravens. Tannehill comes in at QB 13 for me this week. Now I know that he has been operating at a low floor over the past couple of weeks, but This is an offense that has a good amount of weapons. This is a Baltimore defense right now that's struggling a little bit. We don't expect Clays Campbell to come back in this game. We have to wait what's going to happen with Brandon Williams. If those two players do not play this week for the Baltimore Ravens, Derrick Henry is going to have running room. Not something that you would typically think of when playing against Baltimore. Running backs having the running room they need to be able to be successful. Derrick Henry will have the running game If both Calais Campbell and Brandon Williams are unable to go, or even if just one or the other, it'll be a little bit easier. We saw what Damian Harris was able to do to that Baltimore Raven defense with both of those guys out of the lineup during that game and the success that he had and the efficiency that he had. Now all of a sudden, multiply Damian Harris by the player that Derrick Henry is and tell me what you think you can expect to get out of a Derrick Henry into this game. And the big part of that is when it comes to Ryan Tannehill, which is who we're actually talking about right now, is that play-action pass will be there. While Baltimore is a very good defense, and they have they have a good secondary, they don't have a great secondary. They are still have a secondary that you can beat deep, especially if you've got a player like an A.J. Brown. If play-action pass is available to Ryan Tannehill, the way that I suspect that it might be given the Ravens' issues at the defensive front with No Williams, with Calais Campbell, I think there's a really good chance that you could see Ryan Tannehill in a matchup that nobody would really expect him to, to kind of get back a little bit closer to that low-end QB1 territory that we had started to kind of get used to him being at, that we started kind of getting expecting him to be at. I think there's a real chance that he could bounce back this week. Again, keep in mind, like I said before earlier on this show, that the gap between QB10 and QB20 for me this week is very small, very slender. So if you want to go with a guy that you feel like you're more comfortable, has a higher floor, like maybe, for instance, a Teddy Bridgewater. I have Ryan Tannehill and Teddy Bridgewater ranked pretty much right next to each other this week. I would understand that 100% completely. But my point overall is that I'm not ready to move on from Tannehill. I think this offense is a good chance to bounce back. They haven't really been playing as well as of late, and I think they're too good from what they've actually played with. And I think they had some tough matchups, and that's kind of accredited to that. And I think is not somebody that I'm ready to just move on from or leave behind. But if you want to go in a different direction, because he has been playing well as of late, and you're scratching and clawing for the playoffs, you want somebody you feel like has has a better matchup and a higher floor then I understand that line of thinking. But my point is I don't think you have you have to scream away from Ryan Tannehill overall. Derrick Henry, I think he'll have a good game. You have to play him no matter what. I have him as RB3 on the week, even against the Baltimore Ravens. You have to get into the wide receivers. Now, look, A.J. Brown has been incredibly feast or famine. And it's really been disappointing to me because I'm a big A.J. Brown fan. I am a guy who believes that A.J. Brown talent-wise... And what should be his opportunity-wise is a guy that we're talking about as one of the new wide receiver ones in the league, or at least a high-end wide receiver, too. I think that's where he should be. That's where I want to value him every single week. That's what I look at in his talent when I'm, in, when I'm viewing my fantasy football lineup. The reality is is very feast or famine. And while he could have had a much better stat line next week, last week against the Indianapolis Colts when he should have had a 70-yard touchdown that he really, frankly, just flat-out dropped,
0: Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at Shopify.com slash free twenty two. Shopify.com slash free twenty-two.
2: Because Corey Davis has seemingly at least showed up this year, taken a next step this year, however whatever you want to call it, the target share is just not consistently there for AJ Brown. In fact, he's not technically the lead target on the team. It's been Corey Davis. Even if you want to take away the games that A.J. Brown was out for, the games that Corey Davis and A.J. Brown have played together, Corey Davis edges him out in targets still right now. That's just a fact of the situation, but Corey Davis does not have the ceiling that an A.J. Brown has. Brown is still a wide receiver 31. Wouldn't surprise me at all if he was able to be better than that. I think that is his floor. I think a wide receiver 3 is his floor. I think there's going to be an emphasis to get him more than, you know, four targets in this game like we did a week ago. They know that they need him offensively to be as be as good as they can be. So, I do believe A.J. Brown has a good chance. Plus, with Brown, you know it only takes one play. So, I'm going to play him. Does he have a little bit of a lower floor than I would necessarily like him to have or expect him to have this week against Baltimore? Yeah. Because it could turn... This game also has, you know... 17-14 written all over it as a possibility it's in its outcomes as well. So that's just something you have to take in consideration. But A.J. Brown is somebody that I still feel pretty confident in moving forward and will get back to being more of a high-end wide receiver too that he should be, especially once they get out of this stretch of games where they're playing some of these tougher defenses. they got to play Colts again next week. But once they get out of that, this, the schedule does lighten up again for the Tennessee Titans. So long-term, I'm not worried about A.J. Brown. Corey Davis this week comes in at wide receiver four for us, wide receiver 46. I'm only playing him if I just need somebody that I think can get me five catches for 60-plus yards. Because that's about the stat line I think you're looking at in this typical matchup. You're just looking for somebody who can get you that kind of a floor because you just don't have a lot of better options. I think you can go with him there. But there should be guys in that similar range that have a hell of a higher ceiling that I think you can go with that would be better options this week. So I'm kind of staying away from Corey Davis. I can all help it. Here's the real headache of this team, Janu Smith. So he got a rushing touchdown last week. As a result of that, as far as tight ends go, it kind of offered you some value at the tight end position. Wasn't involved in the passing game at all, and is somebody who over the last month or so has only really averaged two targets a game. And yet, against the Baltimore Ravens of all teams, he still winds up being my tight end ten when I go through all these numbers and all these rankings. It's just a, it's a nightmare. It's it's an it, it's an absolute nightmare. The fact is, he has talent. It's an offense, in theory, at least, that likes to throw the ball to the tight end. I think you kind of have to stick with him. You're not gonna what better option you're gonna have? Jimmy Graham, who we thought was a decent option last week, wound up goosing you anyway. He's on bye. You know, these are the tight ends in that range. We talked about Logan Thomas being a top five tight end this week. That's just where we're at. So if you have Janu Smith, I doubt you have a better option available to you. So I'm gonna stick with him. He's gonna be a top ten tight end. Maybe or at least I have't ranked that way, and you kind of just have to you kind of just have to close your eyes and pray basically when it comes to the tight end position Janus Smith falls into that line at least he's a talented guy you knew that on the field so when if he does get an opportunity, he'll at least have the talent to uh, to, to take advantage of that opportunity to execute so let's move into Baltimore at this point Baltimore is there's only two players that I actually want to play for Baltimore. I'll still play Lamar Jackson as a top 10 quarterback this week against Tennessee Titans because that defense is not very good. And while he hasn't really been a top 12 quarterback, there's at least still a high floor. because we, Unfortunately, when you really break it down, Lamar Jackson is Cam Newton. You're just hoping he gives you enough rushing production to give you a good enough floor for your fantasy football purposes. If he gives you something to pass in the passing game, great. But right now, I don't know if there's a difference between a Lamar Jackson and a Cam Newton. I don't know if there is one. But that's still somebody who's hovering around top 10 quarterback position. And in this match against Tennessee Titans, where there should be at least some passing lanes available, then Lamar Jackson, QB7, top 10 quarterback for us on the week. You just play him in your lineups. Mark Andrews is the other guy that I'm fine with. Again, the Titans situation, he has talent. The one thing I did like last week is that he, they finally made at least an emphasis to get him the ball. Didn't make an emphasis to get Mark. He's probably the ball. We'll talk about it in a second. But they did make an emphasis to get Mark Andrews the ball at the very least. Had seven targets, 61 yards. But like I keep saying, it's just a matter of time before Mark Andrews starts getting back into the red zone again. It's a good opportunity for him this week against Tennessee Titans. He comes in at tight end four for us overall. Top five tight end. You, I think you have to just continue to play him in your lineups and just keep waiting for him to get back into the end zone. Because it's going to come. It is going to come. I feel pretty confident about that, especially a tight end position. I'll take somebody with that kind of talent right now over anything. Outside of that, Marquise Brown, I have him ranked at wide receiver 24. I have him as a wide receiver, too, because Tennessee has been absolutely horrendous against the corners. Because this is a matchup that if he's ever going to get a big play this year, this is as good of a matchup as it will be for him to be able to do that. They bite on everything as far as play action goes. But we're going to talk about Marquise Brown and the fact that there's not a single running back against Tennessee Titans this week on the Baltimore Ravens that I want to play for fantasy Football Boys. And we're going to mold it into this take. Which is Greg Roman, can someone just punch Greg Roman in the face at this point? I mean seriously, what are you doing? With, with the vanilla offense, with the obvious predictable formations and what you're going to be running out of them, you, have, you now have multiple players having to pretty much make the point to come out in public and say, this isn't working from a schematic standpoint, and you guys aren't adjusting. We've seen this from Greg Roman time and time and time again. He'll have success that first or second year. He's the offensive coordinator for the team, whether it was the 49ers, the Buffalo Bills, the Baltimore Ravens last year. And then that second and third year, He becomes predictable. He becomes cute. He never gets in the rhythm. He gets simplified somehow. Usually he's supposed to expand. He gets simplified. And as a result of that, everyone on the Baltimore Ravens are floundering, aren't succeeding, or disappointing. I don't put it on Lamar. I don't put it on the offensive line injuries. I don't put it on any of the running backs. I put this, at least 90% of it, squarely on the shoulders of Greg Roman and getting away from what they did last year. With the lack of pre-motion, with the lack of different formations, and being unpredictable out of those formations. I can tell what they're going to run as soon as they line up. If they have three backs in the backfield, it's a triple option play. If they have two backs in the backfield with two tight ends, it's a play-action play to Marquise Brown and to Mark Andrews. That's the offense. Because of the backfield, because you have to rotate all three guys, nobody gets in rhythm. Nobody. Take out Gus Edwards. You want him to come in when you're when you're beating up on teams, you want to cut him to come in on maybe certain goal line and one situations, fine. This team should be revolving around J.K. Dobbins and Mark Ingram and allowing those guys to get enough touches to get in a rhythm because you can run and pass with both of those guys and make you less predictable with your play calling if both of them are on the field. Do something. But unless the Ravens do a 180, unless Greg Roman specifically does a 180, it's not going to get better. So Marquise Brown, wide receiver 24, because it's Tennessee, because he just needs one play, because Tennessee has been giving up that one play. But there aren't going to be too many games left that Marquise Brown's even going to be my top wide receiver 36 and even a playing option pretty soon. It's unfortunate, but that's where we are with the Ravens. And like I said, I put this 90% on Greg Roman's shoulders because the the play calling, what I'm seeing is horrendous. They don't look like they're game planning for their opponent at all. That Patriots game was a prime example of what it's been this season for the Baltimore Ravens. They didn't go in with a plan of attack of how you got to beat up the Patriots. No. No. They went in there with like, oh, let's just keep everything within five yards of the line of scrimmage. Make it easy on everybody. It's ridiculous. It really is. And I put it on Greg Roman's shoulders. It's not on Lamar. It's not on the offensive line. It's not on the running backs. It's on Greg Roman. We'll flip it over. We'll go to the next game, actually, talk about the Patriots and Houston Texans. Cam Newton, QB 17. Again, I think he has a high floor in this game. I think he's somebody you can play if you have him. Again, still a, a small gap between my top 10, my, my QB 10 and my QB 20. I think you can play him. I think he has just as good of a chance in this game to run it in for a touchdown as he had any other game now continue to happen. The one caveat I'll say about the Houston game is that this is one of the few matchups that he's had so far this season where I think he actually has the opportunity to maybe go over 200 yards passing and maybe give you a little extra in the passing game than what he's been able to do. Largely because I don't think the Houston Secondary has an answer right now for Jacoby Myers, who's playing great football. And who I have is wide receiver 18. I am very confident playing Jacoby Myers as a wide receiver 2 this week. And a little fun fact for you, if you're playing DraftKings, he is as cheap and as a much of a bargain as it comes for a guy who's probably going to continue getting double-digit double uh, targets in this game. Love me some Jacoby Myers. Love it. Wide receiver 18 here in the week. Damian Harris, the wide receiver 2. 24 overall for us this week. It's Houston. It's a great matchup for running backs. Harris has ran great against Baltimore. He's really run great for the past month now. He's been getting over 100 yards pretty consistently. And while it's annoying that the Patriots pigeonhole the running backs the way that they do and they don't allow him to ever be involved in the passing game, which is mind-boggling to me, Because of Cam, because of this matchup, because of the way he's been running, there's no reason to think he can't get over 100 yards. And eventually, eventually, you have to think they'll let Damian Harris actually get a touchdown. That could be a possibility in this game. But for right now, I'm going to play him for his floor. He's a low-end RB2. If he gets you a touchdown, he might be a high-end RB2. Possibly even a low-end RB1 if he goes over 100 yards again, which has a great chance to do. So I'm playing Damian Harris with some confidence this week. I even have Rex Burkhead as a flex play. Because he's been getting involved in the passing game, because he's playing well ahead of James White consistently now over the past couple of weeks, and because they utilize him around the red zone too, Rex Burkhead, I think, is somebody that if you're in dire straits at the running back position, you can play him as an RB3, you can play him as a possible flex play, and you should be able to get at least some production out of him with the possibility of touchdowns because of all the Patriot players, especially in the backfield, he's gotten touchdowns more consistently than anybody else. So he's somebody that I will contemplate there. I would definitely like to have a better option. I would definitely like to have somebody with a with a better ceiling and a better you know floor, but he is a top thirty six option for us this week. Edelman is actually nearing a return. Uh, it's not going to be this week, but he is, he might be getting activated off the IR soon. I'm a little surprised at that. I didn't think they're going to bother. I really did not think they were going to bother bringing him back at all this season. But now. Now that the Patriots won against the Ravens and they won last week against the Jets, they're kind of in a situation where they might be able to be in play for that extra wild card spot. This is actually a team that might find their way back into the playoff hunt. And I think that might be the only reason why that they're entertaining the idea of bringing Julian Elliman back. So we'll wait to see what that does. Now, as far as Elliman goes, it doesn't make him fantasy relevant. I'm not rushing out to stash him or pick him up or anything. What it would do, though, unfortunately, especially the way he's been playing as of late, it would hurt the value of a Jacoby Myers it would bring down the floor that he has in practice or that he has in targets. So that's just, that's the part where it's a little tough for me. But we'll keep our eyes on that for now until Julian Edmund comes back. Jacoby Myers is probably as safe of a wide receiver too as they come right now with the way Cam Newton's been targeting him. On the Houston side of the ball, Deshaun Watson comes in at QB 14. We don't know yet if Stephon Gilmore is going to be able to play in this game, but if he is, it will take away Will Fuller to some degree. However, given that Houston seemingly can't run the ball, no matter what the matchup is, and this should be a decent match against the Patriots for Duke Johnson, but because they refuse to throw the ball to the running back, because they will not run the ball uh, consistently, there's going to be more volume for Deshaun Watson in this game. I do think this will be a little bit more of a back-and-forth game. It's in Houston, which... Allows them to be a little bit better, and like I said, if Stephon Gilmore does not play. I think you have a nice little floor there. I think you continue to play Deshaun Watson as a QB one if you have him. I'm not dropping him to play somebody else, but Patriots have been—I don't—they've been—they've been hard to predict. There's been games in the situation where they've taken away the quarterback position. There's been games where they have made him have a, whole, a low floor. So there is a floor situation here for Deshaun Watson. Again, depending if Stephon Gilmore plays, depending how the Patriots game plan for this one. However, I feel good about Will Fuller. I feel good about Brandon Cooks, even if Stephon Gilmore comes back. They have been so consistently involved. And now that Randall Cobb has been permanently, I believe for the rest of the season at least, put in the back seat, put as the odd man out in this wide receiver rotation, the targets have been predominantly going to Will Fuller and Brandon Cooks. They both have safe floors. They both have big play capabilities. I actually might like Cooks' ceiling a little bit more than Will Fuller, again, if Gilmore is playing, a little bit more because he'll have the backside matchup. And he does line up in the slot quite a bit, too. He's been kind of rotating in there. It's a big reason why Randall Cobb's kind of fallen to the wayside because they've been moving uh, Brandon Cooks around a little bit more over the past few weeks. And you can attack the Patriots from the slot wide receiver position relatively effectively. I like think both of these guys are high-end wide receiver two plays. I feel pretty good about Will Fuller and Brandon Cooks in this game. Deshaun Watson just might have a little bit lower of a ceiling, a little bit lower of a floor in this one. Yes, we got to talk about Duke Johnson. He has to be ranked as a high-end RB two, but and he has to be, he has to be played. He has to be in your lineups. He has to play, but there is a low floor that comes with him. The fact that they only targeted him once. Again, this is another situation where it's just logically speaking makes no sense. I can't understand what they're doing. Duke Johnson's best skill set as a running back is what he can provide you in the receiving game. But it doesn't this doesn't just start with Duke Johnson. This has been an issue all season long with David Johnson, where they haven't gotten him consistently enough involved in the passing game either. So this is a team issue. This is either I don't know whether it's a Deshaun Watson issue, I don't know if it's a an offensive game plan issue. I lean towards it actually being more of a Deshaun Watson issue because he really has never been a guy to dump the ball off to the running back. That was one of my big grapes with Lamar Miller is that I couldn't understand why he was never involved in the passing game. Houston Texan running back has never been overly involved in the passing game, at least not on a consistent basis anyway. If Duke Johnson is not going to get five targets, or at least if you're not going to feel confident he's going to get five targets, it really kills his floor. It really kills his value. Because he's not a guy that you look at and go, yeah. even in a good matchup, which technically on paper this is one, I don't feel overly confident about you running for 100 yards or running for a touchdown or anything like that. The only thing Dude Johnson going has, has going for him in this game is that he is going to get all the work. That was the one thing that came out of last week. He was the bell cow guy. If you have a running back right now who's guaranteed 15-plus touches, which I believe Dude Johnson is heading into this game, then you have an RB2 in your hands. Plain and simple. If he can get involved in the passing game, great. He has a great ceiling, especially in this matchup. If he doesn't, you're playing a guy who at least has a decent floor for you because of the volume, but not much of a ceiling. And that's kind of how it breaks down with Duke Johnson. He's a guy that I'm not going to be excited about playing. I'm going to be nervous about playing, but you have to play him at the end of the day. If you 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 know, if had David Johnson you don't have him right now, or if you're able to pick up Duke Johnson and you need an RB2 who has a pulse, he would fit that category of having a pulse. Real quickly now, let's talk about the mailbag segment. So for the mailbag segment, I picked out three questions for you guys today. And first up, we got Elliot. Darren Waller or Mark Andrews rest of season? Great question. Tough question. I hope you're actually in this situation because that means you actually have two competent tight ends. If you need a floor the rest of the season, I think that's Darren Waller. He's been consistently the number one target for the Raiders. He's always involved in the game plan. They're usually throwing the ball pretty well down the field over the middle. From a consistent high floor standpoint is Darren Waller. I keep talking about I believe Mark Andrews will be a guy who gets back into the red zone on a consistent basis. Therefore, I think he has a little bit more of a ceiling on a week-to-week basis. But because of the way the Baltimore Ravens have been playing, that is absolutely positively no guarantee. So I would have to lean towards Darren Waller, what the Raiders have been, what his role has been, over Mark Andrews' rest of the year right now as far as a safe floor perspective goes. Billy, he asked me, Zach Moss or Jonathan Taylor rest of the season? Yeah, the fact that this is a question just shows you where we're at right now. This shouldn't be a question. And I, here's what I would say. They pretty much have dead even value in my mind. Both of them are in committees. Both of them are on teams where it's a question mark who's going to get the ball, whether or not they're going to get the ball. Now, in the Colts' perspective, we know the running back unit as a whole is going to be involved in the game plan. Which of the three is going to be becomes the question. With the Buffalo Bills, it's it's Zach Moss competing with Devin Singletary for consistent touches, and we don't know if the Bills are even going to involve the running back unit altogether uh, in, in a given game plan, which is what leads me to Jonathan Taylor over Zach Moss. Because Zach Moss isn't just competing with touches with somebody else, he's also competing with the philosophy of the offense any given week, I at least know the Colts are going to look to get the running backs involved one way or another. So that means there should be some weeks where Jonathan Taylor winds up being the lead guy. Should be. Again, trying to apply logic to illogical coaching staffs, but... Should be some weeks where Jonathan Taylor winds up being the lead guy as the running backs as a whole are constantly involved uh, as the main focus of their game plan it 's a great matchup this week against the Green Bay Packers. I would lean Jonathan Taylor over Zach Moss I mean obviously I mean Buffalo Bills are on bye this week, but I would just lean on him because I know the running back unit at least as a whole for the Indianapolis Colts will be more involved. But they're pretty much the same value, and that's pretty much where we're at right now in 2020 for fantasy football, especially in a running back situation. Last question of the show, Gibbs asked me, Joe Burrow or Cam Newton this week? I have I talked about this. I have Cam Newton ranked a little bit higher. Uh, I think he has a good situation against Houston to continue his streak of rushing touchdowns, but also should be a good opportunity for him to have actual competent amount of passing yards and not just you know under 200. I think he'll get over 200 this week. So I think the floor... On Cam is just a little bit higher because there is that chance that Washington's front is able to dominate the line of scrimmage against the Cincinnati Bengals' offensive line, which could cause problems. And with Joe Burrow having a little bit of a banged-up ankle, there is a question of how mobile he's going to be able to be. And not just because, you know, what what does that mean for you as far as can he give you some rushing stats for your fantasy points, but can he get away from the pressure enough to make plays down the field? Or is it going to be kind of like last week where... There's so many times they couldn't get out of the way that he just gets completely held in check because the defense is just relentless as that offensive line continues to be terrible. Uh, so there is that range. I think they both have high floors. I think maybe Burrow has a little bit more of a ceiling because we know that he might. there's a chance that he could throw over 50 times any given week. But I would go with Cam Newton in this game because I like his floor a little bit. And if he gets you a rushing touchdown or two, he might have just as high of a ceiling in that situation. So I would lean towards Cam Newton, but they're they're close this week. They're close this week, Gibbs. That's going to do it for the show. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. We will be back tomorrow at 12 o'clock to one thirty here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRM, presented to you by Belly Up Sports. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. Make sure you're following us on social media, at Belly Up Show. We'll get you up to date on all the Twitter, on all the player update notifications. And make sure you're checking out com. For all of our updated rankings that are updated right now and will be updated throughout the weekend. So make sure you're checking back pretty consistently. We'll see you guys again tomorrow. Everyone, have, stay safe, be happy, and have a good time watching the Thursday night game tonight. Hi, I'm Maria.
1: And I'm Mike. And we're Team,
0: Team ready.
2: ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready.
0: so they want you to be ready.
1: It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible.
2: Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather.
1: Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready.